Yo, what up, what up, what up, what up? I go by the name of NFTQT or QR Sinceri, whichever one you know me by. Uh, today, we are having a very special episode of the NFTQT podcast. I don't think anyone's in their legit locations because Ryan was just like, yo, we got to do the show here and now, like go find a quiet spot. And yeah, so I'm in the car. Uh, it's okay. This is not a, a normal occurrence. Uh, I, I think we have the car videos and, you know, Ryan, uh, has definitely been asking me a bunch of questions that, when I'm in the car, but this is not that. This is something even greater. This is the NFTQT show. We're about to get into it. You know, before I get into it and talk about what's going on on, on this episode, I do want to talk about just the NFC handbook. For the people that don't know, this episode, the show is brought to you by the NFT handbook, and I'm the author of it. But the reason why I wrote the book is mainly because there's a lot of people just finding about NFTs for the first time today, yesterday, tomorrow. And when they get plugged into the world of NFTs, one of the things that they're quickly going to realize is that there's tons of vernacular, there's tons of terminology, there's tons of just concepts that might not come easy to you. And so in order to make your journey and just learn, learn your, your journey about NFTs a little bit easier and just to, to help just NFT literacy. I put this book out there. It's called the NFT handbook. You can check it out wherever books are sold. I've seen it in airports, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, of course. And just recently we just dropped the audiobook, So you can find that on audible or audiobooks.com. Our guest today, Michael Potts is the CEO and founder of M2 studio. M2 studio also has a subsidiary that a few of you all might be familiar with. It's called Polycount, And both of these groups, what they do is they specialize in immersive real-time experiences, right? And they've been designing for VR and, and in some of these environments that you, you probably know them for, for the last two decades. And today I want to talk to Michael because I feel like we're going to learn a lot. The way I even found out about Polycal was a few episodes back on this show, we talked to Spatial. And they were doing their first NFT drop of all time. And, and it was, it was, it was a big deal. Like, you know, we were talking about, oh, wow, having immersive custom environments. And in that, you know, they were like, you know, if you can get your hands on the NFT, you must. And I ended up, you know, buying quite a few of those NFTs. And when I looked into it some more, I realized there was this company called Polycount that was behind the Museo experience. And I just started to learn more about Polycount. We started DMing on Twitter. And today's show is, is a manifestation of that. So, Michael, please, you know, join us and welcome him to the stage. There Thank we you. go. We got we got Michael Plotz in the building. Ryan, what's the this is, it's a big deal? It's a big big deal. <laughs> oh, of course. This, this is my this is my thumbnail face. Oh, <laughs> we got Michael. <laughs> yeah, my, Michael. I, thank you for making time. Seriously, I have so many questions to ask you just about the metaverse and just what what you're doing because it's such a unique thing and. And, and to start start off, the first question I, I really do want to dive into before we even get into like kind of what your vision is for this stuff is the whole concept of a NFT that has a utility beyond just like, you know, the crypto Twitterverse uh, is, is one that's fairly new. Because I mean, a lot of the access NFTs that we've seen get, grant you access to a Discord, they grant you access to a website. But your NFT that you sold, the Museo one that I that I purchased, it grants me access to a a world that I can build on top of. What was your thought process there, and like how did that come to life? 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that initially, um, we were, we were basically taking work as a commission, right? Like companies were coming to us and saying, Hey, we want you to build an experience for us, for a conference, for a concert, for our meetings, for parties, whatever. And we had some big ones. We had some ones that we were excited about. Like we did one for the Dune movie. We did one for the Olympics last year. We did some for, uh, Krista Kim's projects and, and a handful of like the Utah jazz, we had a handful of, of experiences where we were creating the environment whether they're going to sell NFTs to attend those environments or whether the, the experience was just something people were asking us for. And then I'd say mid-year last year, companies started saying, hey, we want to buy some of those other spaces that you have. Like, can you sell us those or can you rent us those? Or how do we get our hands on those other environments you've created? Because we were taking people on tours, right? And um, we were planning to do it as a subscription. And Jacob uh, over at, Jacob Lowenstein over at um, uh, Spatial was like, I don't think you guys should do subscriptions and then about, uh, we were working on the website to, show, to sell subscriptions and he calls me up and he goes, I got a better idea. You guys should sell NFTs. We're going to do an NFT drop. And it made a lot of sense because we want to get our spaces in the hands of people who want to use them. Um, the subscription model was okay, but the problem with that is that we were going to have to like support them and have like, uh, you know, customer support. So the NFTs, people are buying them and we can just, here you go, they're yours and you can do with whatever you want. We have about, uh, we have one coming up in two weeks. We have about 10 coming up in the next three to four months. And uh, about half of them are done, uh, are just by ourselves. Like we, we designed them, we created them. And then another half of them are in collaborations with other artists. No, that's sick. That's sick. I, I want to dial it back a bit. When I think about the metaverse, to me, that means many things, right? Like I've been doing a deep dive and personally just thinking about what does it mean to, to be in a metaverse? But to you, Michael, as a person that's been designing you know, immersive experiences, you, my friend, are actually building these things and have been for the last two decades, which is, you know, almost, what is it? Is it 22 years? Yeah, I think I built my first VR environment in 96. So 26, <sighs> 26 years. 20, 26 years, my guy, 26 yeah. years. Yeah. Okay. So, so what is the metaverse? That's, that's what, that's what I want to learn. I think that's a great question. And I, I just recently gave a presentation maybe a month ago and I said, this is the first thing we have to address. We have to address what the metaverse is. And it, you're right. Like, what is the metaverse to you? What I would say is, and I'll answer that in a second, depending on who you ask, you'll get very, very narrow definitions of the, the metaverse to very, very wide definitions, right? So if you go for the very narrow, someone would say, we don't have a metaverse yet because the only way we can have a true metaverse is that every single experience is interoperable with every other experience. Every platform is interoperable. And since we don't have that clearly yet, we don't have a true, true sense of the metaverse just yet. I think that's a fair argument. You don't go onto the internet and you say, okay, I'm going to get off of this internet and get on another internet. But that's kind of what's going on on these VR, these, these immersive platforms. On the, the more wide, wide definition of the metaverse is like anything that's a spatial three-dimensional experience, right? Like if it's verbella, it's spatial, it's alt space, it's uh, horizon worlds. It can even be people who bring up platforms that lets you like move your little, your little like Fortnite or Roblox, or even if there's no VR headset at all, and you're just moving a little character around. So the Y definition is we already have it. And all these experiences are metaverses or metaverse. And the narrow is, is like, you know, we're not there yet. My definition, the way I look, look at it is I read the book, Ready Player One, right? And I was like, I couldn't put the thing down. I don't think I've ever read a book as fast in my entire life. And when I saw the movie that Steven Spielberg did, I was just like, man, he did a beautiful job. I love it. 
that's what my company is aiming for. We are we are shooting for what you saw in the movie Ready Player One. We're trying to create those environments and experiences. So, 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 so let me dial that back a bit. So on Ready Player One, if you've never read the book, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but they they don't call it the metaverse. They call it the oasis. And the oasis is this destination where it, think of it almost like a giant, giant, giant world um, that has multiple cities and like kids go to school there. People can visit a library. They can visit, you know, uh, video games and like game. And like, there's so many different destinations. And obviously the book is, it's a little, it goes much more in depth than what I'm describing here about the Oasis. But when Michael says he's trying to build that, it sounds like you're saying you want to design Oasis or Oasis. Right. We're aiming to create the experiences that look and feel as much like as what you've heard it, read in the book or saw in the movie. Our goal is to shoot for that. Now, part of the challenge right now is that the current state of technology won't let us get there. So we understand that, we, we, we realize that, but we're still setting our sights at where the technology is and also where it's going to go to take advantage of what's possible right now, but also to look at where it'll be in one, two, and three, and four years down the road so that we can say, hey, in two years, we need to have these features available because this is where it's going to go. And in four years, when, when the technology is here, this is where it's going to go. And because I've been working with VR for 25 years, I do feel, or 26, I do feel like um, I have some perspective on like where the trajectory has been going for some time, especially in the last, really the last probably 10 years. But, you know, the, just to see the trajectory of where it's going, you can make relatively good assumptions on where things will be based on the advancements of technology, based on what's happening. And then, of course, I have pretty good relationships with a handful of these platforms, the owners of the platform. So I know, especially with Spatial, I know what's coming down the road with their with their platforms and i mean it's exciting because i can say wow this is going to be online in 12 months and 18 months that kind of stuff no that's 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 actually very fascinating because you're saying like hey i've been here for a while i've gained some real world experience and um through that experience that's given me a bunch of wisdom and knowledge that i can use to just kind of uh, predict and, and 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 just have prescient insights on where things are are evolving and when you think about most industries, Ryan always talks about uh, gambling because he he's always educating me like I on vices. Right. Because I, I don't I don't do a lot of vices. Uh, and he's always he's always beating me up. He's one friend that I have where he's like, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't question why I don't drink. But he will be like, hey, you should like really look at this gambling thing. Like, Look at this gambling thing. And and you and Ryan talk, talks to me about gambling influencers, which is, you know, a fascinating world to, to a person on the outside like myself, because people will follow certain gamblers just to get their picks. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, when I look at, you know, what M2 and Polycount are doing, mm -hmm. it's almost like all the platforms follow you just to get your picks. Because when I go into a Polycount environment, whether it be the Olympics environment or it be the Museo environment, or it be a rival on spatial, what happens is you get immersed in these worlds and you're like, how did they even think about this? Like, mm -hmm. and, and so I think a lot of the platforms probably rock with you right now because you're, you're like those gambling influencers. You have the right picks, right? You like, you kind of know you have, I guess, Ryan, you, you could, you could, you can fill this in. Cause I, 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 you know, I'm not uh probably right on the money here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, a, a good gambling influencer wins 51% plus of the time. Right. So you're only, you're only, you really, to, to be a good gambling influencer, you just got to be a little bit better than a coin flip, you know? And I think, you know, with some of this stuff now, it, it does feel a little bit like a coin flip where people are saying, Hey, like this is we're, we're seeing, you know, we saw Coca-Cola drop 
you know, the, the loot box Coca-Cola machine that is obvious, you know, we want it to be able to import to all these, you know, metaverse environments, wherever you want to take it. And then, you know, that kind of like spurred this thing where it's like, everyone is saying, Hey, yeah, we don't know what platform it's going to be, but when there is that interoperability standard that's created, ours will be ready to do it. Right. And I think it's, it's kind of like, well, do we just wait for that to happen? Or like, what's, what's in the interim? Cause like, I don't think that waiting for this, this oasis where it's, everything is connected is gonna, is gonna fit. Like, it's just gonna take too long. So like in the meantime, I guess like what, like what, what are those types of things where you're like, Hey, this is, this is how we're going to create the habit around VR that keeps people engaged until we get to that oasis. Like what are the, what are those, those intermediary steps you think? Well, I think that, you know, one thing is, is it's, it, I, Maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, you could make the argument, it's not time to get in yet. And from what, everything I've seen in the last 60 days is that most businesses and a lot of artists and a lot of people from around the world have said, no, it's time now, it's time. And you know, you could look at, you could point to Accenture's 60,000 uh, purchase of 60,000 Oculus Quest. You could, you could point to uh, you know, Facebook changing to Meta. You could point to Microsoft's buying of uh, uh, Activision and Blizzard, but what I can tell you from what I've, what I've seen is almost every big business out there is taking it really serious right now. And um, that wasn't the case. This is what's so crazy. That wasn't the case six months ago, a year ago. I mean, maybe some of them were, were testing it out, but uh, things, seem to be, think, things seem to have moved into the, the, the fast gear, the high gear now. And um, what I would say is that, you know, look, you're not going, if you're going to make an investment here, you're not necessarily going to hit it out of the park, right? Like you might, but you're also getting some experience. If you don't get experience now, then when it comes time to go get that experience, you're going to be behind. And that's that's really pretty pretty accurate. I will tell you that in 2017, I had some companies that I was talking to about advice on how to, you know, interact with VR and and I was giving them the suggestions and saying you should start spending some time and energy right now on creating metaverse type experiences for business meetings, for collaborations, for international um you, you know use cases and I won't say I was getting laughed at, but it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure. That, that, that'll never happen. And five years, I actually predicted 2020, 2021. I'm like, this is the time frame. I was pretty close. Um, it's coming. It's, it's, it's happening now. And so we're reaching, we're reaching a point where businesses are reaching out to us like three or four times a day saying, we want to build a duplicate office so that we can have all of our clients from around the world, all of our customers from around the world, you know, come into this, coming into the space. It, and then the NFT, if you look at what Goldman Sachs said a few weeks ago, they, they recommended, they said, basically, you cannot have the metaverse without the blockchain. Those two things are, are interconnected. So then, and then I think it was last week, Goldman Sachs just said, you know, they think that the, the value of the metaverse is somewhere between six and nine trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And the NFTs and the blockchain and the metaverse are all basically like, they'll be kind of merging into one. You, you, you can't really have the metaverse successful without the blockchain and, meta and NFTs. And the, the best place to, to, to view, to share, to experience your NFTs is the metaverse. So you bring them together and it's a, it's a sort of a, it's a brand new paradigm, right? Cause it's exploding. Talk yeah. to us about, so, so you, you, in, in this, you know, you've described a lot of key moments like that have happened, not only recently, but over the past few years, if you were to just give a quick historical timeline of the metaverse for people that don't know, um, I'm curious to, to hear, like, what do you feel like, start back all the way, you know, the 90s to now, like, what are the, the key things that you remember because you've been in this space for so long? 
Mm. Well, I, I can point to the 90s and say, you know, we could create virtual reality worlds. We could put them in virtual reality gear. You could get in the experience. The first time I started sharing VR experiences with other people was probably 2006, I think. And that's when I realized, I'm like, this is a whole new game. If, if we're uh, reaching across the, the internet, across, across the planet, and we can actually like share that experience, um, it's a game changer, right? So I, I knew that was it. But the problem in, two, in the early 2000s or mid-2000s was the equipment was incredibly expensive, very cumbersome, very scientific, very technical. So we, I, I realized this after years and years and years of going to offices all over Texas, making presentations and pitches, and seeing people's reactions and realizing the equipment, the, the hardware, was a big problem. So I would say a huge uptick in the uh, of, uh, viability of the metaverse came with the Oculus Quest. I mean, I would say the Oculus Quest 2 really pushed it to the next level. But you go to the, you go to the point where in mid-2019, so let's say, uh, I think it would say, let's say June or May of 2019, if you wanted to have a good VR experience wireless, you had to pay about $5,000 for, for a dedicated headset, a wireless pack, a good computer, the whole thing. A few months later, that price dropped down to $399. Mm -hmm. And that was a change, right? That just boosted everyone's adoption and the ability. Later, about a year later, when Oculus or when, when, when uh, the Oculus 2 came out, now you've got a much better, uh, more robust headset that can do almost everything. And it's funny because... Um, in the last month and a half, I've had maybe 25 to 30 companies reach out and say, we want you to do something. We, we've got a project, we've got a plan. And they tell me, we bought, we just bought Oculus Quests for all of our staff. I've heard that dozens of times in the last, in the last month or so. And I, at first, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, good for you, that's great. And after a while, I'm like, oh, I keep hearing everyone say that. And so clearly the, 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 mood has changed to we're ready to embrace this we're ready to bring this stuff in mm. yeah it definitely feels different you know i i think around that 2019 was when i bought my first uh oculus and that was when i think it was that the two and because it was it it, it did finally feel like uh the iphone moment where it's like right, right, right for the record right did not buy an oculus there's no way there's no that, that's not what happened i think it's 2020 when it came out it came out october 20 2020 yeah okay then that was yeah that was the one i mean q bought it for me you know yeah, yeah, no, you know i you know why i had to buy ryan oculus is because like i agree with michael it was like yo this the oculus thing it, it like because i had to go and i stood in line for that because i was like so excited go was cool but it was a letdown like I, I, outside of watching videos it was let down because it was like it just gave you a glimpse of what could what, what was coming the oculus uh quest was interesting because that one is actually my favorite VR headset of them all. I like the Quest One more than I like the Quest Two. My son, does I, I think the Quest, the the Quest, like the first Quest, the the original one, it felt like a real product. Like you know, it didn't feel rushed. The head strap is really good. I thought the controls, like yes, they they revised them, but I think the original controls were actually not bad. They were really they were really good in my opinion. Obviously. Um, when you look at the Quest 2, the, there's a higher fidelity screen, but to me, in, in, a, in a faster processor, but like to me, the screen, like the Quest was actually, I mean, it was good. It was good. Like, I, I don't see that much of a difference between the Quest 1 and the Quest 2 in, in the fidelity realm. So like, I actually prefer the Quest, but I know everything's now being developed for Quest 2, so I have a few of those, but 
when I look at the the landscape here, when 2020 happened and the Quest 2 it came out, I, I hit Ryan and I was like, yo, man, like, you got to get one of these headsets. And he was like, oh, I, I remember using your go, man. I was not that cool. I think that I did. I think we had a go in the office. So you, Ryan had a go for something. And like you used to play poker on that, right? Yeah, poker was the first thing where I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. I could actually see myself spending some time. But also, like, maybe you remember this, Michael. I know for us, because we were writing a lot of theories for, it was Inevitable Human was our platform back then. And it was all future of technology and how it's going to impact your everyday behaviors. And a lot of the narratives around it, because the devices were starting to get cool and, you know, you started to see, you know, millions of devices shipped instead of thousands, the narrative was like, people are going to get sucked in VR and, you know, they're going to forget about all their daily habits. And so for me, I was like, I don't want that to happen to me. Like that's, that's, that doesn't sound that great. You know, I don't want to lose my sense of reality. And so I I mean, that's what we used to fight about. We used to fight about that. I'd be like, you're not going to lose it. You got to try it. And he was like, nah, man, you like, you, you cracked out. There's no way I'm putting this on and it's been an hour. I do remember that now. Uh, but yeah, exactly. But I, what I will say is like, those times where I did finally hop in for the first, you know, you do, you get sucked in for an hour plus because you're just one, you're learning the controls, you're learning what you can do. And just like the simplest things like walking around an environment is, is engaging enough to spend a bunch of time. What I noticed is like when I did take the headset off, I actually did have more of like a desire to go outside and a desire to go talk with a person and like tell them about, you know, what I had experienced. So it wasn't necessarily as, as, as bad where it's like I get get out of the headset I'm like man real life stuck compared to this it wasn't like that at all you know it was it was more so like it it created that distinction like okay this this has its place and reality has its place but they also can have benefits in both yeah absolutely um I the most I've ever spent was maybe seven hours in a day in VR which was a long day and at the end of it I'm like oh that's kind of tiring um you do build up tolerance that you can get in there longer and most of the time, I'm only in there for maybe, you know, five minutes at a time, 20 times a day, something like that. But just get in, do what I need to do, make a meeting. Unless I'm going to have a meeting with someone, which I may be there for 30 minutes to an hour. I will say that uh, since 96, I've owned maybe, I'm going to go on a limb and say maybe 20 different VR headsets and AR headsets. Um, and I, I've often kind of looked at it like I have to own that device to know if it serves a purpose, if it's, if it, if it's, fills a need or if it, it's going to do what I need it to do. There were a couple of examples and I won't say who, but there were a couple of examples where I would buy the headset. I'd put it on, I'd wear it for 30 minutes. I put it back in the box and then never touch it again. Thousand dollars just sitting there wasted because it was not, it wasn't ready for the, for the, for the use case. Um, and the quest, the, the go is a good example, but I think we've, we've probably <laughs> between like 75 and, and, and 80 Oculus quest twos. And we use them, at least last year and a little bit before, we use them as almost, I wouldn't call them lost leaders, but we use them like sending a client a cell phone that will send it to them and say, okay, now we're going to have our meetings in this platform and you're going to get this, you're going to set up an account. And from this point forward, we're going to meet about your project in this headset. So I'm relieved now to see so many companies buying them. So I don't have to go keep buying these headsets and shipping them all over the, all over the country. But, but it's so, it was, so, it was cool. So, so, so you're the reason why I couldn't get a Quest Two when I was trying to get one for Ryan. You know, it was sold out. It was <laughs> you. You know, that's that's what happened. You were just buying them and sending them, giving them away for free. Man, I should have known you then. Then I forgot. I'm sorry. Free. Yeah, I would have brought you some. <laughs> no, uh, but no. So, I mean, I, I, we could talk about Quest and the dynamics of Quest. That could be its own show in itself. Sure. But I do, I, I do want to talk about something uh, that 
is a little bit more eye-opening because I think that like we we can talk about before what VR was and then after Facebook jumps in and you know acquires Oculus and then the time in between that announcement and them introducing the first quest and now the quest two and probably the quest three later this year is looking like it might it might actually be a real thing but the question that I have like from all of this is where do we go like because like I think that like in the cell phone analogy the, the jump from quest one to quest two it felt like an iPhone 3G to a 3GS. It didn't feel like, you know, the iPhone 3G to a 6, right? Like, there's a big difference. Is it going to be a bunch of incremental updates, or do you think that there's something that's been happening in the background that you've seen on the developer side that's going to just, like, change all of our lives in the same way that we went from, like, the iPhone 3G to the iPhone uh, 4? And then, you know, just the, the hardware was much more refined. We got rid of the, the plastic back and, like, you know, it was just, it was, a, it was a much, it was a quintessential device. I love it that you bring up that the iPhone 4 because I agree with you. I think when you look at the iPhone, like what we're on like 13, 12, 13, 14, whatever now, it was the 4 that was the jump, right? It was the 4 that was the one that was like, now it had GPS in it and it changed everything. Because once you had GPS in the system, I think what we're going to see is a combination of incremental improvements and occasionally along the way in the next five, 10 years, we're going to see those moments when they bring in a new feature that we're like, oh man, now it's incredible. And then there's always going to be improvements. What's the difference of the, of the iPhone 9 versus the iPhone 11? I couldn't tell you, but there are improvements each, each step away along the way. Um, one thing that we're going to see in the not too distant future, maybe with the three or soon, sooner after that, is we're going to have downward facing cameras in these devices that'll that'll track your mouth. And that's going to be a big deal because now you're going to be able to, when you speak to someone, you're going to be able to get their emotions more. You're going to be able to see their, their mouth is going to match their movement of their, of their voice. But it'll also tell you if someone's smiling, if they're frowning, it'll, it'll give you more incense of, of like a, an emotional connection. Because right now you do have that spatial connection to someone. If you're in a spatial environment in VR, you do know that like, okay, I've got someone who's standing over there and someone's over there. Even if they're all really like thousands of miles apart, it feels like we're all in a certain proximity. But when you get up and speak to someone, you get a little bit of sense of like with their hand or hand gestures, or you might be able to see if they're pointing at something or dancing or whatever. But think about this. We'll be soon, I'd say, within the next 12 months or around there, we'll get to the point where you'll feel like you get a much better sense of their emotion and they're, they're going to communicate their expressions. And that's coming soon. So uh, I, I saw, I, yeah, so I saw that. I saw that, that, that that there's some work being done in that department. I also saw some patents that, you know, Meta has put out where they're talking about monetizing uh, some of that data. And that's how they're going to, you know, basically get their money back from the, all of the the research and development they put out here. So they're going to, I guess, do some form of advertising on our emotionals, or on, on our emotional states. I, I'm struggling trying to put this out there because it sounds weird and it's like icky. Does that increase the value of the quest too? Because they're like, no, nah, I don't want people to track my my emotional state. Or does that like, you know, are we just gonna sign up for a world where, you know, Meta knows when we're smiling and we're happy and it knows when we're sad and depressed and when we're crying in the headset? Like it's just this is getting a little weird, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow where you're going. I, you know, look, I think I think myself, I'm like, is this okay with me? Do I care about this? Is this important? Um, you know, as a fan of VR for over half my life, I, I want to see the technology advance, right? I want to see it go to the next level. I recognize there's some significant concerns about safety. By the way, I'm, we're, we're going to have a conference in uh, October called Meta Frontiers 
You can find it at metafrontiers.com. But we're going to have a conference on the ethics, on the legal side of the metaverse and, and, and get into the conversations about what, what are we doing to protect ourselves and our families and morality and the ethics side of all this. But you're right. I mean, th those are concerns. They need to be addressed. There will be people who I think will pull away and say, I don't want to engage in that because I don't want to share that information. And there will be people who say the trade-offs, right? The trade-offs between having this incredible immersive experience with my friends or my family is, is worth it. You know, like if I can go climb a mountain with my brother uh, and he's in Miami and I'm in Dallas and we're climbing the mountain together and we have this experience together, that's a rewarding, rewarding experience that only comes with the metaverse. It doesn't come with a Zoom call. It doesn't come with, um, you know, a phone call. So there's going to be trade-offs and sometimes people are just going to make those calls. Like, this is worth it for me. I love this. This is fantastic. And that's what I hear more than, more than I hear the naysayers or those people saying, I'm concerned about that. I hear more people saying the, the advantages uh, of this for my health, for my wellness, for my, for my uh, enjoyment um, outweigh those, those privacy concerns. I know we're, we're, we're coming up on time here, but there's a, I guess we're going to, we're going to go through a couple questions real fast. Uh, the first is you bring up wellness and health. Uh, what's the most surprising thing that you've seen manifest in VR to date that you just didn't expect? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm working right now with a group, um, in Boston that's going to be using VR to, um, to help cancer patients, to deal with, uh, you know, the depression, to deal with, uh, the isolation to deal with uh, the challenges that come along with, you know, either terminal cancer or cancer that's, you know, uh, de debilitating. And th th the fact that you can use technology to improve people's lives, to bring people happiness, to bring people joy, or just, you know, connect them to their relatives that are, that are distant, that's a great thing. So I'm looking for opportunities like that where we can take uh, this technology and do something good with it. And there's a lot of people out there who are using virtual reality for, for and, and the metaverse for, for good reasons, for good purposes. So, so that's interesting, especially contrasting that with the ethical side that we just talked about. But then jumping into that, you know, the metaverse and just VR in itself is such a, such, such a new industry. Uh, there's not a lot of information out there for the average person. Obviously, if you've been in the XR field, you know all the XR pioneers and who's who. But if I were just getting into this, who are the top five cre creators that you would, uh, you know, just shout out and say, like, go check out their work or go get familiar with their stuff? Obviously, there's the Ready Player One by uh, um, Ar Ernest, Ernest, Ernest Klein. Yeah, Ernest Klein. So that's the author for Ready Player One. So we recommend everyone go check that out. But Michael, take it away. Let us know, like, four or five creators that uh, are inspiring to you. I, I wish I could answer that question well. I mean, we're so we're so nose down personally on looking at doing our best that so we're not really fo focusing on other people. And part of it is we feel like we're kind of forging ahead and trying to do the best stuff we can do. And so we're not focusing too much on the other guys. Now, I will say, if you go to different platforms, you can see some great work. Uh, there's some incredible stuff in VR chat that's really great. VR chat's a crazy platform, but there's some amazing environments in there. Same thing in alt space. There's some there's some great experiences in alt space. So I mean, those are a couple of places you can go. We our favorite is is clearly spatial. We've been working with them for two years. We're very close with them. They're they're great guys. They're really advanced. And if you go onto their platform and just look at what people are creating, there's some incredible stuff they're being created by a lot of different people. If you're looking for leaders in the space, like thought leaders, you've got like Charlie Fink, who's who's a really bright, uh, you know, a Forbes columnist that he he tells you what's going on. There's a gentleman from Australia called Bob Comey. 
He's got a, a great blog. He, there's, there's other leaders from different industries like uh, Tony Peresi from uh, NVIDIA. I think he's, is he from NVIDIA or he's from Epic. But you can, you can go to these different places and, and listen to leaders talk about what their vision is. Um, I will say that the metaverse is one of those things that, like you said, it's so new. And depending on who you ask, it's going to go this direction or this direction or this direction. And I don't think it's been defined yet. I don't think we all know yet exactly where it's going to go. But I would argue that those people who are going to have an immersive experience, a great immersive experience at the least effort is probably where the direction is going to go. If people have to build a, ba a badass computer, you know, and create this awesome thing and then order a headset from, uh, from Europe that's going to cost you several thousand dollars, that, that direction of the metaverse, I think, is not going to take hold. I think the version that everyone can go to the store, Target or whatever, and get themselves a headset and join up with their mother, their their cousin, whatever, their friends, and play games and have fun and go and go to concerts together. I think that's the direction that's going to take hold and be, be where we're all going to be down the road. All right. So then now I want you to put on your future thinking hat and, and ride with me into the future. I, I There's a few points of just the VR space and just immersive reality that I find super fascinating. The first point is the operating system. I think that what we've learned in just emerging technologies that hit scale and create massive opportunities, it usually points to some type of operating system that we all learn and, and get fundamentally familiar with. Uh, that's been true with Android, iOS, uh, Windows, uh, Mac OS, like, you know, there's like, you can go back and you can say, okay, this is, this is, this is the point where a lot of people became familiar. And then the software is the, the, the catalyst that carries people from a heart, from, 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 from decades and generations of hardware, right? Like if you're using windows today, those are skills that have been built off of generations of, of, of time. Not we're past decades now. Right. And I'm curious to you who has the best operating system or what is the operating system of, of the metaverse look like in your mind and, and when will we get that? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the two main platforms that most of the metaverse stuff is built on, it's it's Unreal and it's uh, it's uh, Unity. Unity, um, yeah. And I'm and I'm I like them both. I've used them both. They are both really amazing. Um, back in the day, Unity had a strength over over Unreal because it didn't have. It, it was a little more streamlined, and and the the processors the processes that were happening were uh, required less post processing, so you could have. Uh, a, a, a VR or an AR experience that was lighter didn't require as much as much um, uh, to operate. So you had a higher chance of successful uh, VR experience. And then if you go beyond that, if you look at most of the platforms, most of the platforms out there are built on Unity, right? Most of the platforms, uh, I know Spatial is a lot of these platforms are Unity based. So I would say the core of a lot of the VR that we're going to see going down the road is going to come from Unity. And the second will be, you know, like the second will be Unreal. Um, and we'll we'll see that for some time, but I think that that's the if you're looking at where the most likely chance of of uh, if you want to like study a platform, you need to study Unity to be like the the best out there. But if if you're going at it from the creator's perspective, you're not you're not necessarily concerned about Unity because you can piggyback off of a platform. You can use a platform and build um, your experiences from that. So in those cases, you just need to learn advanced 3D skills. You can do it with 3D Max, you can do Cinema 4D, you can do it with Blender. But those are the kind of like the, that's what the, the, the graphical part of this that will, that will work on top of the platforms that will be using Unity and Unreal. And, and, and are those skills you, you feel like you hire on your team a lot or like, what, like how, does, 
how do you find a great person in Blender or, un, un, or I guess Unreal or Unity or Cinema 4D? Like all these tools, they're they're kind of foreign, right? Like they remind me of like where Photoshop was in the the CS6 era. I don't, you have to really know Photoshop. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like what? Like where where uh like where are you like in that realm? How do you find great talent? Well, I'm going to be teaching a course, a couple courses at the UCLA Extension on the, the, you know, world building for the metaverse, world building for XR. So part of the reason why I'm teaching that class is so I can, you know, impart some of my knowledge to these students, but also so I can keep an eye out for top talent and bring them in, right? Um, but we have a lot of people applying to work for us from around the world. Generally, what we're looking for are people who are exceptionally good at 3D skills, uh, who, have, who, who can demonstrate a knowledge of how to how to how to do a, a composition that's impressive, or how to create an environment that's impressive, and those are generally either architects or interior designers, or sometimes they're 3D artists that have just figured things out and they've they've solved some of these technical challenges. So our platform, our company is based in primarily in, in 3D Max. So if someone came to me and said, "Hey, I want to work for you," and they have a background in 3D Max, they're going to go higher on the priority for me than someone else, unless the other person's got just an incredible. Uh, portfolio because we don't have to train them. You know, they already know the program that we're using. And 3D Max isn't a program that everyone knows. So generally, if someone comes in with that skill, they're already, you know, 90% the way there. And then what we do is we train them the, the last 10%. We train them on how to do the things that we've learned in the last several years to really take this to the next level. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Michael, this is the last question. Ryan, are you ready for it? Let's hear it. Man, this is a this is a tough one because I I have so many questions and I know we're at time. I know so I've I've got a great question like, too. We're gonna have to go oh, yeah. too. All right, go ahead, go go ahead, Ryan. You ask yours because I've been asking questions all the time. Okay, yeah, I think um, and a little bit of preface to this, the the question is like, what's what's the thing or the experience or the tech that you believe will turn VR from like a hobby to a habit? In the same sense that like the news feed kind of changed social media to where it was like oh, I'm just going to post to my wall to now, oh, let me see what a million people have posted to their wall. And it became like, let me spend 10 minutes here to now I can spend an hour here. What do you believe is that thing that makes VR like habitual where it's like, I got to go and check in? I'm going to use my company's uh, experience in the last 15 months as as my my guide here. So at one point when we were having uh, bringing our team in up, up to speed, what we were doing in VR, we would do like phone calls. We would get on email. We would get on Slack. And at some point we realized actually the best way for us to communicate to each other is in VR. And so we started to use that tool as a way of communication, like you would a Zoom call, like you would a phone call. And as soon as we got into the habit of that, it became a habit. It became mm. part of our process. So Nowadays, my company, uh, my teammates, they're all working from home just about, but we jump into VR anywhere from, you know, like I said, five to 20, 20 times a day to have a short meeting, to sketch on something, to work on an idea, to take something and, and kind of like extrapolate it. And I think maybe we're a little advanced. I don't think most companies are using it that way. But when people realize that you can collaborate much better, you, you can communicate better and you can have experiences that are a little more connected than this sort of this zoom or this phone call thing that people once they start to catch on to that i think it's going to become wildfire and everyone will, will will get there it might not take it might not be you know this year maybe it's next year but it's coming and when we talk to clients and our and our contacts who, who use this process they love it too 
they often are like not used to it at first and they get on board. It starts to get into the habit. And once they start to, to realize how valuable it is, they get on board as well. And they start to ask us, we had a client who we did a job for and they're, they do like at the end of it, they're like, we got to have you build all of our spaces so we can use this for our internal communications. And we're all going down that road. It's just some of us are getting there sooner than others. And, la and lastly, this is the bonus round. Uh, this isn't really a question. It's more an opinion, but uh, there's a lot of companies getting into this. If we go back to the era of cell phone, when the cell phone was turning into the smartphone, a lot of people looked at the Windows phone and said that that was going to be the contender at which everyone was going to have to b battle with. And, you know, Windows had a lot of cool innovations that would go on and, and define a lot of other companies, everyone from Apple to Samsung, but they ultimately lost uh, that battle. So Microsoft uh, does not have a mobile uh, phone of any type. And, you know, they've largely been considered a failure in, in some of the efforts that they've done there. What's fascinating, though, is I feel like we're at a very similar crossroads. Everyone's looking at Apple and saying, you know, what is Apple going to do? We, we have heard, you know, names being thrown out there for their headset as Apple Vision. And like, you know, we've seen sketches and things of that nature. Uh, do you think Apple's going to close this out and, and they're going to be, you know, able to carry on uh, all the things that they've built with their brand and their legacy into this new XR world? Or do you think that this is going to turn out very similar to Microsoft and their endeavors as it related to uh, the Windows phone? Well, I, I, I won't go the, the long story, but I missed a phone call from corporate Apple a few, maybe about a year ago when I did a release on what we were up to. And I, if you guys from Apple who called me, call me back. I'm happy to talk with you guys. But um, no, I think Apple's going to bring a, bring a strong, strong product to market. And I think that the consensus in the industry is we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like. So we, we can't really speak to is it going to compete and be the, 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 the main device that we're all using? I could see the potential of it. Right now, though, you'd, if you were handicapping it like a football game, you would have to, you'd have to give a strong, a strong um, uh, in, you know, uh, belief that, 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 that Oculus and Meta are going to take this one because they have gone out so far ahead of everybody. They've already invested a ton of money, but they've also got a lot of eyeballs every day on their device. So it will be interesting to see the next two or three years, because I do believe that Apple could have a device that we ultimately all end up using. But if you were looking at it from a, just the who's out in front and how far out in advance they are, if you're running a race, Meta is out there, they're rounding the corner of the, of, you know, of the racetrack and they're already well on the way. Uh, you just don't, you should never count out Apple, but it's hard to say because I think we expect the price point of the Apple device to be quite a bit higher. Um, and then it just comes down to, are they going to end up getting you know, a big percentage of the market share or will they, will they be resigned to the, the higher end users who will go for the high end device? I mean, that's been a trend for Apple for the last few years though. I mean, even these Air AirPod Maxes that I'm using, right? Like these are a $550 investment, right? The HomePod in itself, the first version of that was several hundred dollars, right? Like even the, the new laptops, $6,000. They're, they're playing a game where they don't really care about, uh, it seems like, mass, the mass numbers or the the, 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 the the proverbial iPhone user. They're not really that determined to cross them over right now, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I also go back and look at the, when I was a child, when I was a kid, we had this, this argument about which was going to win, VHS or beta. And everyone knew. <laughs> I love beta. Everyone knew that beta was better. You go into the store, you look at it, you're like, it's better, it's better. It costs yeah. more. But at the end of the day, VHS won because when you went to, when you went to the uh, rental store to go get a movie, 
the VHS section was 90% of the, of the rental store and the beta had like one corner. And if, yeah. if they don't get the market share going quickly, there may not, it may not matter because the market share is going to dictate where people are going to spend their de time developing. It's where people are going to spend their time uh, hanging out. And if you know 500 people who have uh, an Oculus device and three people who have a, who have a, the, the Apple device, you're likely to be spending more time with the people who have this, the device that, that most of your friends have. Got it. Well, Michael, yeah. thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. We would love to have you, you know, on the, on the show as a regular contributor, because you just have so many insights that are so vast and you, you're in a space. You What's know, up? we need, we need Michael to be like our BS detector. Like, you know, the guy, like our, our guy, like a CNN program where we bring him on. If we have a guest who's like talking these big metaverse ideas and we need Michael to come and be like, well, no, that already was tried in 2015 and that didn't work because of this. Like that's how, that's, I feel like that's where we could use him. <laughs> I'm happy yeah, to know. Like yeah, dude, we, we, we definitely have to do a part two of this and like bring you back because there's, I mean, the metaverse is not stopping at any time, anytime soon. And we're working on some things in the metaverse as well. And we're excited to, you know, be sharing those soon. So uh, thank you for all the insights. You got it.